and this is Scott Harris, the Constitutional Patriot, and today we are doing the Tea Party Policy Chat Podcast. And on this episode of the Tea Party Policy Chat Podcast, it's basically catch-up day. We have Take 5 from the National Review this week section. We have a Republican survey to discuss and two printed articles, and we're going to get started here on the Constitutional Patriot Podcast, supplementary podcast, Tea Party Policy Chat. So check it out and let's get started. to the Tea Party Policy Chat Podcast. And what we're talking about in this podcast is we are going to be going over uh, some very some very funny stuff. I when I was when I was uh, when I was doing uh, going through this uh, through this podcast um, um, preparing for it um, one thing that I like to do on either the Constitutional Patriot Podcast or on the Tea Party Policy Chat uh, podcast is I do a take five. And what I call a take five is I get the National Review and they have this section in there called This Week. And they're basically lots of different, I mean dozens and dozens, I mean it's several pages of, of small little stories, news stories, right? So you can't, I can't cover everything, right? So I pick five. When I, when I get the magazine, I get, I go through it and I pick five, and I circle the little square. They have a little square, and I circle it. So, so I call it take five. And so the, I'm going to do that today. And then I got I, – I love doing surveys on my podcast. So I get surveys from different uh, conservative groups. I get, one from, I get them from the Republican Party. I get them from um, uh, Jay Sekulow's um, – Liberty Watch. I get, I get uh, Judicial Watch. I get them from Hills uh, Hillsdale College. I get them from uh, CPAC. I, I love doing them. I love doing them. Um, I get them and I do them on podcasts and I actually mail them off as, after I do it because I fill it out as I do on my podcast. This one is this one is going to be an interesting uh, conversation because I'm going to talk about it a lot. Um, it's the California uh, voter exploratory. Republican presidential preference poll. Wow, that's a lot of words. And so it goes, there's a bunch of people on here, and the categories are interesting. There is strongly favorable, favorable, unclear slash no opinion, unfavorable, and strongly unfavorable. And there's a bunch of people on this list. And then there's a bottom one for write-in candidate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's like, yeah, but the problem is when you do a write-in candidate, um, like if you write in yourself, you're you're only going to get a one favor one person favorable. So don't write in yourself. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe it's like you. There's another famous Republican that you thought would be a good president. That would be. The thing is about this is that who's on this list? Okay, and I'm going to go over that. And then at the bottom of every survey, they always have asking for money. Um, so there's that. 
But so that's that's going to be covered later on in the Tea Party Policy Chat podcast. And then I have two articles that I'm going to be going over. These these are I've had these for a while. I printed them out. Um, this is this one is I it's COVID nineteen likely air quotes originated from a Chinese lab says FBI director right. And this also came out, there's another story about how the Department of Energy said the same thing. Um, what do we call on the Constitutional Patriot podcast and all the podcasts by Scott Harris and the Constitutional Patriot? Um, the, the FBI director is pants on fire. Okay. What, he finally says likely. It's not likely. It is. It, it is. It is not likely. Is. Likely means uh, possible. No. Likely, it likely means a little bit more than possible. No, there is is and not. Is, yes, and no. Yes. We call, him, we call the FBI director pants on fire. Now here we have another article. House oversight demands info on Biden family business dealings from former, U, from former UN president. We have a picture of in this picture, it's left President Joe Biden, a.k.a. King Dumbass, a.k.a. King Delusional Idiot, um, um, at the House White House in, in uh, October, 20, October 4th in the year of our Lord 2022. And right next to him is former suburb, Serbian former minister uh, Vuk Jermic speaks um, during the debate in in the United Nations General Assembly um, in New York, okay? Now, I don't know, uh, he, he is, uh, the House Oversight Committee on, on Tuesday sent a letter, so we're going to talk about that article later, so we're going to go into that detail later. Um, so he, that is an interesting, an interesting uh, show, I think, that we're co going to cover. It covers a wide variety of things. Um, but it's basically catch-up day. Uh, there's, I have so, I have so many piles of stories that I'm trying to get through. Okay, I can't cover everything. And one thing that I that I like about doing podcasting, and I think that because there's a lot of people that um, they don't get um, that much news, right? And when they do get news, they don't get uh, there's like a like they can't get everything. So, one thing about podcasting is I pick out stories, and that are major stories, but I give it in a con context in a way that people don't um, normally do. And for this podcast, Sorry for the silent mic there. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm, I forgot to pour my tea. And the Tea Party Policy Chat, I normally have tea. And I, this is the tea I'm drinking. It is the Black Cast Bourbon Smoky Black Tea with Vanilla and Caramel. It is from the Harney and, Sonny, Har Harney and Sons Fine Tea um, from, from England. And this is... 
This is what it. I love this tea. I I got this. I got this uh, one just like this. And man, I went through the whole thing in like a in like. There's twenty uh twenty in here, right? I went through in a couple of days. I mean, I was I drink it like crazy. And the the mug I'm using today is the Let's Go Brandon mug. It is Dr. Seuss, and it has a poem. And the poem says, Let's go, Brandon. I do not like your mental haze. I do not like your leftist ways. I do not like your sun on blow. I do not like you, Sleepy Joe. <laughs> and that is the uh, that is the letting my tea brew in my very cool dragon and phoenix rising phoenix from the ashes and a dragon tea uh, teapot there you go um it has a little i love this teapot um i drink lots of tea i mean i mean lots of tea um so that's that's what that's an interesting so that is what sorry for the silence there um, I might pull and edit that out. Um, I normally don't edit, but there's a lot. I mean, it was like a good 40 seconds there. So, so um, you know, there. So never mind that. I'll I'll cut that out. Um, now, see that this on this week. This is from the National Review, and it's really kind of cool cover. It has Face Off, the new U.S.-China competition, and it has. People on the moon. It has America and an astronaut with Amer next to an American flag off in the distance. It has a another astronaut from China with a Chinese flag, and then off in the distance is Earth. And it's and and so that's what it was. When I saw this, I was going to be doing story for this. I thought about doing like like an Earth space background. Um, and since I'm going to be, I thought about doing like a hovering like filter like a mask that was audible. Like, I said, no, that's just, that's, that's too cheesy. Um, I really thought about doing it. Um, yeah, so there's that. Um, now, this week, th this, this magazine, let me get to the, let me get to the dates, let me get the information out of the way, is from March 6th in the year of our Lord, 2023. Um, and so the, the, this week's section is what I do. And, I pick five of them, like I said at the at the in the intro. I pick five, and the first story is on the first page, and and it's at the bottom, and it goes, once again, DeSantis has had the um, temerity to the temerity, excuse me, like visual here, the temerity to interfere with the government of the state that he runs. Having noticed that the AP African American history course contains all manners of materials that violate state law or that lack educational value, including segments on black queer theory, the reparations, the reparations movement, Black Lives Matter, and scholars behind critical race theory. DeSantis removed it from turning the page. The curriculum until changes were made. Now, okay, first of all, I want it to be clear. I am a credentialed social science teacher. I have um, 
my in California, not in Florida, but I have a California teaching uh, social science teach uh, credential where in California, to have a social science teaching credential, you have to have a primary focus and a secondary focus. And how you get that primary focus or secondary focus is with coursework, okay? You have to have so many units that qualify for that subject area to, be, to get that as a secondary designation. Now, the thing about the California teaching credential social science is you can only have, basically when you're doing it, you have one secondary on your list. But I have qualifications for all of them, okay? I have a, my primary focus is government because my bachelor's degree, I have a bachelor's arts degree in political science. My primary focus is government. My main secondary is economics. But I have coursework coursework to qualify for U.S. history, world history, geography, okay, and even psychology, okay. I have all the coursework, I have coursework to, for, to qualify for secondary, for, for each of the subjects in the social science credentialing program to be, have as a secondary, okay. So, one of the things that that one of those the articles that the, the article mentioned all these different areas of study that the class covers, which are first of all are <laughs> that's not what the AP class is supposed to be, right? Um, the AP history class, right for history, um, is supposed to be a history twelve class. Um, that's what it's referred to in the curriculum. It, it is basically U.S. history 12 up to, from, from colonial times up to the Civil War. Okay, that's what the AP test is supposed to be. That's what it's supposed to be. Now, there is another history test. Because see, there, see, see, you... Because the in U.S. history, when you're taking U.S. history, okay, U.S. history is um, it's it's up to the colonial up to the Civil War. It's the it's the colonial period, the Revolutionary War, and the Civil War. Okay, um, now the AP they might do some programs because when you take history in college, it's two classes. U.S. history is two different classes. It's it's it, it, Fresno at Fresno State and Fresno City College. It's history eleven and twelve. History eleven is U is colonial periods up to the Civil War. History twelve is Civil War pretty much up until like um, the end of World War II, the Cold War. Okay, and and tiny the part that's covered about you know the the Civil Rights Movement. It's basically the last little like two percent of the class. Okay, that's it. You don't take the whole class, doesn't, the entire, you know, part of that class is not the civil rights movement. Uh-uh, that's a tiny little sliver of it. Tiny little sliver. The rest of it is all about, um, on History 12, is it's the, it's after the Civil War, okay, 
it's reconstruction okay it's it's leading into world war 1 it's the it's um you know the roaring 20s leading into world war 1 the great depression world war 1 getting out uh, you know the the, the world war 1 after the world war 1 the the roaring 20s the De great depression leading into world war 2 okay the pre-war world war 2 years 1930s what caused world war 2 and then going into world war 2 then the marshall plan after world war 2 leading right into the cold war okay and then, and then, and then you go into the, after the Cold War, it's the post-Cold War era, right? And in the post-Cold War era, that's, that's like after like the 19, um, the 90s. And, but during all that time, the 1960s is, you know, the civil rights and all that stuff, Vietnam. That covers just a very small part of it. That's, and it's included that part of it is included when you're talking about the Cold War, okay? But the main focus is not the civil rights movement. You, as when you're teaching, the civil rights movement is a weak, if that, because it's not the you know it, it is a lot of important things. But basically, um, what I did when I was teaching, because I did that, and when I was teaching that part of, of the class. I taught the. I basically was. I have a dream. Martin Luther King, right? Uh, the 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 protests. The you know the 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 boycotts and the and the and and the and the bus riots and all that stuff. Um, and the and the riots in the 1960s and the Jim Crow laws. But that you you covered that in like uh in like a week, and that was it. And then you moved on, because then you got into Vietnam. Okay, and the civil rights movement mixed in with the anti-war protest part. So, when you're doing when you were doing Vietnam part, when you're teaching history in the Vietnam part, that's when you put in that that part. Okay, but you spend more time on the Cold War. The more time uh, I cover, I spent more time on the fifties and the and what led up to the Korean War, right? Because there's a lot of stuff that led up to the Korean War that most people don't know, and I've covered it in different aspects of the uh, on my different podcasts on the on the Constitutional Patriot podcast. So check those out. But basically, so I led into that, and I went into great detail about the Cold War, act, what actions were occurring within the Cold War, because there's a lot of stuff that happened that during that time period. The bipolar system of MAD, mutual assured destruction, I, that I've covered in different aspects on different podcasts, whether through the Constitutional Patriot podcast or the foreign uh, or the Patriot foreign um, the Patriot foreign policy podcast, and even the Tea Party policy chat podcast. I've covered those different aspects of the Cold War on those different podcasts. Okay, so check those out. Links will be in the show notes for all of that. Now, one of the things that needs to be understood is that is that um, those those are the those are the things that you test about. Nothing, n none of the stuff that the, that that these leftists wanted to, to fill up time with are relevant to anything. These are these things are not even important to cover in an AP class. Maybe as a seminar, 
in college, but this none of this crap should be taught in high school. Is you know reparations movement? That's a that is a political philosophical argument that should not be covered in high school history class because in order to understand that you have to first understand the history. And here's a little fact, a factoid, right? Is the ta taxpayers now that they want to pay to tax for the reparations, none of them own slaves. There you go. And the and the African Americans that are alive today, none of them were slaves. There you go. Moving on. Okay? So so that's so that's a non that's basically insanity right there. And you can't tax people for something that they didn't do. You can't you can't put a penalty, an extra penalty on them. That's that that's unconstitutional. That would never stand up in under a, under a real strict constitutional uh, aspect. Okay, so let's get back to this sto story. Um, at the first, it first seemed that through the college boards, which compelled the course, was going to ascend to Florida to to accede to Florida's request after the period of intense criticism from progressives the college board the college board came because eh, the progressives the communists didn't like it this you have to realize is that the communists do not want our our us to teach our history they don't want us to teach the history of this country they want people you because they don't want people to understand the foundations of this country. They don't want people to understand the responsibilities that, of the patriots that we have in this country. They don't want that to occur. And I cover it all the time in the Constitutional Patriot Podcast. But here at the Tea Party Policy Chat Podcast, we have to realize that our country was founded on two documents. It is the, the Declaration of Independence and the United States Constitution. But we actually have other documents that, were, that predate uh, the, um, these documents. We have the Mayflower Compact in 1620. We have the... Articles of Confederation, which occurred right after the American Revolutionary War. We have the Constitution of the United States, the Bill of Rights, which occurred after the Constitution of the United States, which you cannot see on this screen, is right here in front of me, looking at me every, every morning when I'm sitting at my desk, is the Declaration of Independence. And we have another document over here. This is the Gettysburg Address. These documents are our founding principles and statements that our country is built upon. Now, the conceptual framework that our country is, is built upon is, is clearly stated in the Declaration of Independence. Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from consent of the governed. That when any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it. And to institute new government, laying its foundations in such principles and organizing its powers in such forms as shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. The Declaration of Independence goes on to say, with a warning, experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils 
are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariable the same object, invices a design to reduce them under absolute depotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and provide new guards for their future security. And then it goes on to explain how you do that. Ronald Reagan was, has said one time that whenever any American citizen's constitutional rights are being denied, it is the responsibility of the federal government at the point of a bayonet, if necessary, to restore that individual's constitutional rights. Interesting conceptual framework. Now let's take that concept and apply it at writ large, shall we? The Democratic Party in California is violating many constitutional rights of the individuals. And here we have the federal government. We have the FBI, the federal law enforcement. We have the government itself violating the civil rights so many so that I cover pretty much on almost every podcast is what we have. So what is where is the responsibility? If the federal government's not doing it, doing their job, what do we have? We have Operation Lone Star in Texas. But here's the thing. Is it come as the evils that are being suffered upon us by the federal government, have they become unsufferable? Or are they on their way to becoming unsufferable? Our constitutional rights are being denied, that is a fact. But if the federal government is not going to basically at the point of a bayonet, if necessary, as Ronald Reagan has stated, who is going to basically at the point of a bayonet to restore the American individual rights? Where does the, the point of bayonet come? Hmm. One thing that once you know once you know the foundations of your country, the foundations that your country was found, especially here in America, where our country, as it stated in the Magna Carta, where I did an episode on constitutional patriot, but going into great detail on, on, not the Magna Carta, on the Mayflower Compact in 1620, how it became, how they said in that, we are the city on the hill. For religious, for religious freedom. That's what they were doing. They came here to worship God as they saw fit. They became the city on the hill. And that concept has been ingrained in the foundations of this country. But the communists don't want us and the progressives, because progressive and communists, they are... The synonyms, they are the same thing. Oh, Pete, the word progressive was coined by Joseph Stalin of the Soviet Union. And it was used, he had it used so that the American Communist Party could seem that they are not communist. They could appear as not communist. Like he, in, that, in, the, in the Constitutional Patriot podcast I did, um, just a while back about the containment, the containment of uh, communism, uh, that podcast, check it out on the Constitutional Patriot Podcast. A link for the Constitutional Patriot Podcast will be in the show notes. But the one about containment, um, 
Keenan, the guy, the guy that created the concept of containment and the policies of containment, he was go it went into great detail about how the so the Soviet Union would want to have talks and want to have peace, but it was basically a a stratagem to divert, and it was not real. Okay, and they do that, and that's what China is doing. I went into great detail about that, so check that out. But that is what this all is about. They don't want us to know our culture. They don't want us to know our history. They don't want us to know and believe that America is great. They don't want us to know. They don't want the citizens to be patriots. Why? Because you can't control patriots. You cannot get them to basically concede. That's why that's why the left and the progressives are for drug use. They're hey man, smoke a doobie. Don't protest. Here, have a joint. Oh, don't you like you like you don't like you don't like that we're taxing all, oh, dude. We're taxing everybody else so that you can do more drugs. Here's here here's a needle. That's what it's all about. It's so they can make it. They can pacify the population and control the population. They don't want you to think. They don't want you to be aware. They don't want you to know your history. So they make crap up. Right? They come they come out with the 1619 project, which has been proven and debunked. None of the stuff in the 1619 project is real. It's all fake history. It's all, you know, misinformation. Okay. The college boards, DeSantis noted, nobody elected them to anything. They're just kind of there. <laughs> Rather, um, American elected officials continue to tolerate radicalization of institutions are just kind of there. Promises to be one of the key political questions coming forward. See, that, that's an interesting conceptual framework here. It's like these college boards... Who are these college boards, right? That's no one elected them. No one, no legislature created the college board. It's a company. It's a corporation that creates the AP exam, and then the other colleges agree to take that the people that pass that test to apply to a class in college credit. This is not a government. They're basically creating coming in for using their political ideology, non-governmental funded, non-government, it's all funded through, you know, the AP test program and all the, you know, the testing, all that kind of, you have to pay for it. it. That's what's creating this. This isn't created by the colleges contribute to it. It's like, oh, because we get more students coming in. But see, here's the thing. I, I once had a conversation with one of the, my favorite professors at Fresno State. Now I he's I call him my favorite professor because he's really brilliant, um, and he's the one of the. But I agree with this man on absolutely nothing, <laughs> right? He is he is way out there philosophically, and he. But see, the th what's great about it, I took him for some I took him for my political ideology class. I taken him for four different classes. Um, he's a great guy. He's a great teacher. Um, he knows. The content which he does. Now he he understands that his he's there not to brainwash. He this is what I like about him. He's there not to basically brainwash you into his political ideology. 
what he he has his political ideology, but what he does that I love so much about the way he taught is he presents not the straw man arguments of the other ones, the legitimate what the what the other political ideologies are. You actually learn in his class, in the political ideology class, what each individual political ideology is. Okay? And it was a great class. I mean, it was like, and he would do one political ideology at a time. He would do classical liberalism, conservative, you know, classical liberalism, radical, which was radical, which was, you know, the, conser the, the actually conservatives, the conservative values that we have today was at the time radical, okay? Um, pro what the social, the, the socialist ideology, communism, fascism, right? Uh, Nazism, right? Communism. And we would go over all these different ideologies, right? We would go into the, it was a political ideologies class in political, I, I, took, I took them also for political philosophy, classical political philosophy, that was a class. That was a class. That was a hard class, right? Because we would study different political philosophers, okay? And some of them were really, I mean, you know, very, like, I still don't get, be at one with the tree, Heidegger. I, I honestly, you know, I hate Heidegger flat out. That's my personal opinion. Um, <laughs> um, you know, and, and so, but he had this, oh, this extra credit assignment. It was dead. But, but see, that he's a great teacher. But he's not, he was, the, he has, he's like a green. He's a green, like green. I mean, he's like way green. We're talking like the guy doesn't even have a car. He like rides a bike everywhere. And and we had no, a lot of conversations about that. But, you know, he's a great guy, great teacher, right? But he's not there to brainwash people to be Green Party. That's not what he's there for. That's not his job. And that's what I respect about him. Okay, there are other teachers as an English professor. Oh, you have to be leftist. You have to be social. You have to be progressive. You have to be woke. Okay, um, sorry, no, insane, insane. Okay, so so th that's what these are. And so if you're going to basically, I think at these state universities, at these state colleges that are basically being paid for by by state taxes, I think that the legislature of the states should basically approve the AP tests. I think that needs that, and that the AP test needs to be made public of what is being taught on the curriculum for the AP exam that is being fund that is get, you're getting college credit for at a at, for for state colleges in that state. I think that needs to. I think that should happen. I think that would be an absolutely fantastic thing. The next story in this is Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley, right here. She's it's this. Nikki Haley. Now, Nikki Haley is during the Trump administration was the U, was the ambassador to the United Nations, and I'm going to flat out say she was the best, best, best ambassador to the United Nations this country's ever had. She was super great, fantastic, and I I I, I really like Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley, and and what I plan to do is is I'm going to. Um, do a, I'm going to do a podcast where I'm going to focus on each of the Republican candidates in turn, okay, and and find out. I'm going to check out their websites. I'm going to go through, and it's going to, and that's, and I'm going to be a, a, a podcast focusing on each individual um, uh, pr 
presidential candidate. Nikki Haley is the first declared 2024 presidential candidate since Trump. She entered the race as a long shot, well behind both Trump and presumed candidate DeSantis. Okay, now see, here's the thing. Everyone, everyone thinks that DeSantis is running, and 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 he hasn't declared that he's running. Um, and there's probably there's fundraiser reasons for that. I think very seriously, there's rules and regulations about once you declare um, you're going to be a candidate, then there's fundraising regulations that kick in once you're a, once you're an official candidate. Um, about how you can raise money and where you can get your money and stuff like that. And it's basically an accounting nightmare, right? So that, oh, this tea is really good. I, um, you've got to check this out. It's black cast bourbon, smoky black tea with vanilla. This is great tea. I love this tea. I mean, it is really, really good. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so that is, so, and it goes on as former, as a former, she was, she was governor. She was a governor and ambassador to the United States. Now she was, she was a great governor. Okay. She was governor of South Carolina. Um, and she, she's really great. And, um, she has, she's very, they call plausible. What I like about I'm going to go on a little thing about this is when she declared that she was going to run, it it made I love this. It made the the women of the view. I mean, it basically they wanted to set their hair on fire. I mean, this is insane. These people are completely insane. And it's what I what I find interesting is that nobody watches that show. I mean, who watches the view? Right? Who watches the view are the college interns that work for Fox News and Fox Business News that are forced to watch it because they take clips of it and put them on the show and we laugh at how stupid they are. I mean, it's like really. I mean, I mean, Joy Behar. Really, this woman is this this woman is the, one of the stupidest people I've ever seen in my life. And then they have somebody on there who's who who basically is calls her. She's basically trying to confuse people and use her race. I mean, it's like they're calling her a racist, right? And they're basically saying that she's using... She, This is insane. I mean, um, that she changed her name because she's trying to hide her ethnicity. She's, she's, she's an Indian American. From uh, Her family comes from, from India um, and migrated here legally. And they became citizens. And she became, and she is now... Uh, she was a UN ambassador, and now she is running for president. And instead of embracing a minority woman running for the high high office as president, they're trash talking her. They have said nothing but hostile, negative, and and basically insulting, in rude, insulting. Every single one of those women should be fired. And if it, and if and and if you had even conservative Republican women saying what they're saying about Nikki Haley to a to a liberal, those conservatives would be terminated. They wouldn't even they would they would cut to another show, and all of them would be fired instantaneously. Instantaneously. Okay. Um, 
She has a she was mixed she has executive experience, but she's very strong on foreign policy experience that makes her very plausible presidential candidate with uh, respecting conservative with a very strong conservative record. Haley will have to an who Haley will have questions to answer on her shifting stance on Trump. Uh, some blemishes in her policy record. See, I don't think that's I don't think that those are relevant. There's no shifting stance on Trump. I mean, uh, that's I don't agree with that. To see the writers on this, see this. This is the a National Review, and and first of all, for you have to understand that the editors and the writers of of the National Review are pretty much very anti-Trump. They're conservative, but they're anti-Trump. They're more mainstream Republican. You know, um, when I say mainstream, they're basically, I want to say like Romney-esque Republicans, okay? Or, uh, which is basically, um, some women refer to them as, as, as rhinos, Republican in name only. I would say that they're not quite rhinos, but they're basically leaning towards rhinos. They admire rhinos type of situation. Okay, so that's that's one of the things that I don't like about this magazine, but it's it's one of the few conservative outlets. Um, those will be. Um, I would love to see these debates. It's a foreign policy direction. Her foreseeing the party. She has the foreign policy experience. Um, there are also debates worth having. Many worrisome in the party that needs to move beyond Trump. See, the thing is. One thing about Trump, I, Trump was a great president and probably one of the greatest presidents the country has ever had. That's a fact. Okay, putting that aside, um, he only had he's a lame duck going in. He's a one-term president. He already had his first term. He's his second term is later, and um, so question is, if we were to elect some other Republican that had the same policy positions. Then we can have two terms with that, and then after that, the vice president or somebody in that two-term cabinet could then run, okay, most likely the vice president, for two more terms, see? So we can get four terms instead of three terms, see? So if we get, so if Trump was to win, Right, and he was president, gets one more term. His vice president would then run for president, and if they won, can get two terms. So that's three terms versus four terms of conservative rule. Okay, so look at it that way, right? Okay, that's eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years versus 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years. 12 years or 16 years, that's what I'm looking at here. Possible 12 years versus possible 16 years. I want 16 years of conservative rule, right? Because at that point, because what's going to happen is, is I don't think there's ever been three consecutive uh, conservative presidents, right? You had you would have um, you had Reagan, and then you had George Herbert Walker Bush, but he was only one term. See. I don't think there has been three consecutive conservative presidents. That would, oh, imagine that. Oh, my God. 
Just imagine what we can do with this country if we conservatives could basically not shoot ourselves in the foot. Okay? And if we could have control of both houses of Congress and the White House, okay, for three consecutive presidential terms, in all of them being four, all of them being two year, two terms, three consecutive, three consecutive two-year terms. That's th that would be basically. Um, that would be two, four, six terms times 24 years of conservative governance from the White House. And if we can have the control of both houses of Congress during that time, just imagine, I want you to imagine how this, how what we could do to this country what we we could restore all of the conceptual frameworks of our constitution of our declaration of independence we can glory be that light the light on the hill that was that was foreseen in 1620 with the mayflower compact we could restore liberty justice we could restore and protect the unborn from from the insanity of 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 the massive murder that the Democrats want to do, we could we could basically reduce the national debt in such ways, cutting wasteful spending. We can maintain world peace, as Trump did with the with with the Abraham Accords. Imagine that. We would have a conservative government where we where would be strong against China and force China to the negotiating table where we can come out with nuclear arms treaties that will, will cover the United States, China, Russia, Pakistan, India. Okay? Whoa! Imagine that. We can guarantee and prevent Iran from having... Just imagine that. Just imagine that possibility. That would be such a blessing upon the world. That, that is where... That's, uh, that is... That is what that, that's what we have as an option. Dream it and make it happen. And how do we make it happen? Boom, right here. Okay. Um, I'm going to move on to the next story here because I'm I'm going on. Uh, the this is the third story. Okay. On take five. Okay. I don't know if I'm going to get to the to the surveys. Uh, um, we are glad to hear that the FBI has retru retracted its now notorious leaked memo on the threat of the Catholics on who, on who worship at traditional Latin mass. The memo describes radical <laughs> trans tra <laughs> radical traditionalist Catholics. Rattles, wow. 
unquote, that's insane, quote, radical traditionalist Catholics, unquote, from a member. This, wow, the FBI, wow. Federal Bureau of Insanity. Okay. Um, as a potential recruiting uh, ground for for ethnically motivated right wing extremists and violence. Wow, this is insane. <laughs> oh my God. Oh Lord, have mercy on the my. Oh, geez. wow. Okay, first of all, okay. Let's let's look at the let's look at the. The, 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 I'm a Catholic convert, okay. Full disclosure, I'm Roman Catholic. I, I'm, but but I'm basically I'm a Saint Pope John Paul II Catholic, okay. What do I mean by that? Saint Pope John Paul II was very anti-communist. He was from Poland. He knows what it's like to live under Soviet rule, under under communism. He knows the evils of communism. Okay, and he knows that communism and fascism were the same thing, and he knows that fascism and Nazism and pro and progressivism are all the same. He knew that they were all the same philosophical constructs. Okay, that they all had the same ideology. He knew that and said that. Okay, and he was he was pro liberty. Very pro-American, right? He recognized the American Declaration of Independence. He recognized the Bill of Rights, and he even recognized the fact that Ameri that that you have the right to defend yourselves against tyranny. He recognized that fact, okay? And the that is actually in the Catechumenate, but most people don't know that, right? There's when I when I I was raised Southern Baptist. And Southern Baptist is a very conservative, politically conservative faith, okay? And um, I've talked numerous times about how my faith is very important to me and, 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 the, and how I was raised. Um, the, the one thing I could say about the culture of the church that I was raised in, um, it, I, don't, I have not seen... Even, even Southern Baptist churches do that now. And that is sad. That is sad. The, the, church, the Southern Baptist church was first Southern Baptist church in Fresno. It was, on the, it was on the corner of Fruit and Dakota in Fresno, California. Um, it is, the building there no longer exists. It's now a, seventh, it's now a K through 8 uh, public school. The building that I was in that then... The pro it was a 10-acre pro pro property that was the building was torn down, um, and it was it was a very sad event. Um, but and I could honestly say that my dad was a member of the the deacons of that church. My grandfather, my grandfather before I was born was a head pastor of that church. Okay, um, and what's interesting is is that is that. The church was very had a very high at the height of its um, I want to say influence or at the height of the of the church's success. Um, that's that is the part of the where I grew up in when I was was when I was born in my early childhood, going up into where I was in 
but and then when I entered was entering junior high and high school, that that's where the church started to basically begin its long descent. Okay, and it basically had to do because the deacon board were pretty much made up of all union uh, teachers from the teachers union. They were, but to see, you have to understand what is being a teachers union. You could be a Christian and a deacon in a Southern Baptist church and still be a teacher in a teachers union. The church, at the height of its success, had one of the best, um, a very successful private Christian school, an advanced, very advanced um, Christian school on the camp, on the with the church campus. Um, it was at the time it was called when I was in starting in kindergarten. It was called Fresno Christian School, right? Uh, Fresno Christian School that's now at that time used to be called Fresno Christian Education System. Okay, now they changed their name to Fresno Christian School. They were at, at Peoples and they had multiple churches supporting them. So basically, when I was in like. Uh, fifth grade, we had to change our name to Heritage Christian School when I was in fifth grade. Okay, and that's that was that's was pretty much the decline of it. Um, the the deacons board, like uh, the deacons, the uh, the deacons board, um, they're like the church elders. Okay, now one thing about Southern Baptist churches that are different than pretty much every church I've ever been, seen or been to, is basically the deacons board pretty much ran the day-to-day -day stuff, but any policies, any major changes, they had to be approved by the church population in votes. There were quarterly meetings where people would votes. And it was, oh, yeah, we're, yeah. Churches now don't do this, okay? I don't know of any church that does this. Um, most of them basically they have basically they have basically a, a member meeting uh, once a year where they're voting in people to run the church, and that's pretty much it. But that's not the. I mean, quarterly budgets have to be passed, right? You would have you would have changes in budgets and changes in policy. Those things had to be approved by the congregation by a vote, okay? And on a quarterly basis, and it was like, boom, and I love that. I was like, when you're going, when you're, that's how I was raised. And so, um, but the church had a very significant presence in the community, okay? You had, um, we had Sunday morning services, right? You had Sunday evening by, uh, prayer service, Okay, praise and worship service on Sunday evening. Okay, you had Tuesday night visitation. Okay, that's where all the different Sunday school departments, they would meet, and they would basically, the people that were the first time on Sunday, right, the first time people that were there on Sunday, the, um, they would like, oh, we have them, because you fill out a card. When you come down to an altar call, right, what Southern Baptists do, and they used to do, I don't know if they still do this or not, um, when I was a kid, this, at the end of the service, they would have an altar call, and they would ask, um, if they would say, be, be, they would, if you were wanted to join the church, you would come down. But the, but in the offering plate, everybody had a card and a bulletin. And before they would do this, they say, if this is your first time, fill out the card and drop it in. 
because we want to contact you. We want to know if we can pray for you. And that's what they did. Okay, so first time people would fill out this card with their name and their phone number or their address or whatever it was. And people were, were much more open about that. And then they would put it in the, in the altar plate during the, during the, uh, the, 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 when they were collecting the, the, the offerings. And then the, they would take those cards and they would divide the who's on the card to different Sunday school departments. And the Sunday school department on Tuesday night would send somebody, would call them and send somebody to the house. Say, they would call them, hey, can we come by and, and pray with you on Tuesday night? Right? And they would have people going to people's homes to visit them and say, can we pray with you? Can we pray for you? Is there something that we can pray with you at? You know, we would like you to come to our church. This is what we're studying in Bible study. In our, in our Sunday school, right? Because we had Sunday school, and then after Sunday school, you had church. And then you went home for lunch, and then you came back to church around 6 o'clock, 6.30, for a praise and worship service. Okay? Then you had Tuesday night visitation. Now, Wednesday night, that's where, we, that's where the adults would have choir practice. For the for the adult church choir, right? But the but the kids, okay, they would have uh, we had Royal Ambassadors, which is a Southern Baptist version of Boy Scouts, okay. They would have a Wednesday night youth group for the youth kids, right? Okay, so that's when the kids the would would come for that. Now the parents, when the kids were in youth group. Or, or uh, they had other group activities, the royal ambassadors or whatever, small group stuff. Um, the parents were in choir, or by, or at, or the Bible study meetings about Bible study teachers going over, whatever it was. Okay, on Wednesday night. Now Thursday night, okay, you had youth choir, children's choir, and the parents would have. Um, that's where they would have their Bible study, okay? Because they had Wednesday night, they had, you know, other things. But the Thursday, and that's, and you were there, you were there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday. You were at church f four days a week. That's how I grew up. But see, here's another thing. When I started kindergarten, right, I was there every day. Because I was, I went to, from kindergarten through uh, um, we were at first Southern until fifth grade, right? And then um, I had I had first through fifth grade at first Southern on Fruit and Dakota in Fresno. That but see what happened is is now these liberal teachers did not like the the the, the back then. Okay, this was this was seventies, eighties. Okay, early, early, early 80s. Public schools were, uh, they hated private schools. Okay, private school, we, we, out, we had to take, as a private school, they had a law in California. At all private schools, they had to take a grade level equivalency exam every year. 
because the idea was that private schools are not as good as public schools, so they want to basically make sure that the students aren't falling too far behind. That was the, that was the reason for the law. That backfired big time because every single private school in the state outperformed public schools massively. Massively. The school I went to, our average was four grade levels above public school per grade. Right? I had to take testing. When I had to take, when I entered pr public school going into seventh grade, I tested at the 12th grade level in, pu in, in public school. On public school curriculum, public school education, my t I tested at the 12th grade level going into seventh grade. And I'm, that was common. That was common. You're talking kids, we would normally have, you would be in fourth grade and you're testing at the seventh, eighth grade level going into fourth grade. That was common when I, at the school I went to. And it was common at many Christian schools. Very common. It was a, and so they stopped having that, man, they canceled that requirement quick. This, that you never saw a statement when they started getting the results on a continual year after year basis, that private school was outperforming public school in absolutely every academic measure. They ended that. They ended that requirement real quick. Now they don't have that requirement because they don't want. They don't want people to know that the quality of education in private schools is so superior to that of public schools. They don't want people to know that. A lot of private schools still give those tests and they use it in their marketing materials. Right? So what did they stop doing? They stopped giving those tests to the public school kids, right? So the whole mindset of testing students, that, that goes, I went off on a tangent because basically that's what we're talking about here. But see, Catholic schools is the traditional, the, 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 I got off on a tangent because the traditional Catholics today basically are very secular in their education. Now, the is they're basically pulling away from actual Catholic faith in these schools. In fact, some ca Catholic schools um, are removing Catholic edu moving religious education from their curriculums. They're, in, they're Catholic, and they're moving religious. That's insane. That's, and they're really into this social justice warrior aspect. Social justice is a main thing in almost all of these these liberal, not classical liberal, progressive liberal Catholic schools. Social justice warriors. That's that's been a problem with Catholics and conservative Catholics versus, and that's an issue within the Catholic Church. That's an issue. I've brought this up in podcasts. And that is why there is actually basically a resistance movement to the current pope. That's why I said that I'm a St. Pope John Paul II Catholic. Okay, not the current pap pope. And I actually, 
when I when it, when the current pope started saying all of his basically uh, socialistic pro-communist crap that he that he that he was been doing, I actually called the 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 diocese, the Fresno diocese office, and talked to somebody about it. Right, you know, and and they says, well, you can't, you can philosophic because he hasn't made. See, this is what this is this is the powers of the pope. He makes statements like press releases, and he writes like letters and and articles and things. But those are just like informative, opinion based things. He the pope wears hats. And he has a hat that he puts on. When he puts on this hat, basically he's speaking as the church ruler and setting policy. When he's when he's doing that level, it'd be like writing an executive order as a president. Then, uh, yeah, you have to do it. When it's just him giving a press release, that's not the same level. Okay, that's like a that's like a press statement versus an executive order. That would be the same conceptual framework, you know, comparison, similar. But but see, when he's writing, when he's signing an executive order as the pope for the church, setting new policy, they call it it's a Latin term that I can't, I don't know Latin, but that's that's where you basically can't disagree. But see, when he's just making like a press release, they says that as long as you as you pray about it and you soul search and you spend and you go through that that effort, then you can disagree and it would be okay. And I did that. I spent two weeks doing that. And it's like, no, I cannot reconcile these anti these 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 anti-conservative, anti-American statements and press releases and these pro-socialist, these pro-communist philosophies that he's been espousing, I cannot reconcile that to accept that. I can't and I won't. But it's okay. Because those are just press releases and not executive orders of the church. If he makes it that, then we're going to have a problem. Then we're going to have a problem. But he hasn't and I don't think he will. Pray to Jesus. Okay? So that's the issue. Now it says here, it says, as potential recruit, this is a, <laughs> right. Um, based on research from Salon articles in the Southern Poverty Law Center, the most liberal communist group, the memo accuses such Catholics of adherence to anti-Semitic, anti-immigrant, and anti-LGBT and white supremacist ideologies. The Southern Poverty Law Center, that right there should tell you that you can't, that, that, that's a prop, that is a George Soros propaganda that basically wants to destroy all religion. This is insane. This is insane. Um, the problem is, is that I'm I'm basically I'm a very strong Catholic, but I'm very pro-Israel. Oh, I've taught you should listen listen to the pa the uh, the Patriot Foreign Policy podcast. Listen to my pro-Israel po uh, podcasts on that, and in the Constitutional Patriot podcast, I go on about supporting Israel. I've there's stories where you had President Obama making statements 
insulting and being extremely hostile and rude to Israel and Benjamin Netanyahu. I called the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. and stated and talked to one of the foreign service officers there and I stated, as an American, as an American patriot, as an American conservative, I would like to apologize for the rude, hostile, and ignorance of statements coming from the person occupying the White House. That's what I said. And I says, I would like you to forward my personal apology to up your chain to Benjamin Netanyahu himself. And says, we'll do that. I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's not exactly what he said, but you know, he was all like, first of all, he was shocked that an American citizen would actually take the time and effort to do that. <laughs> but that's what I do. I do that. You know, I called, I called Diane Feinstein's office, and I talked to somebody there. And I says, I says, you know, I'm really concerned as a constituent in California, I, as a voter in Cal. I didn't say her voter because I've never voted for. Her. As a voter in California, I'm very concerned is on the health of the senator. Is she okay? And they said, Oh yeah. Well, why? And I says, Well, are you sure she's okay? She's been making some statements that's basically questioning um, her san her 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 sanity level. Maybe she she needs to see a psychoanalyst. Maybe if you can like schedule an appointment. Click. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there you go. But see, that's that's the, you know, oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm moving on, moving on. That's insane, that's insane. So now I have two more stories, and I'm at an hour and nine. I am not going to get to the uh, the survey, the political survey, so that will be on the next episode. <coughs> okay, excuse me. Um, Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is... Biden called on Congress to impose price ceilings of $35 per month on insulin for all Americans. The um, Inflation Reduction Act that the health care and that the health care and climate bill capped prices at $35 for Medicare recipients. About 20% of the diabetics with private insurance pay more than fifth pay more than $35 per month for insulin right now according to the Kaiser Family Foundation by capping the price Biden um, essentially promising to make market for uh, the market for insulin more more the market for baby formula see okay what what's what do we have with baby formula shortages we did not have shortages for baby formula during the Trump administration uh, we did not have shortages for, for baby formula during the Bush era. We did not have shortages for baby formula uh, during, um, I don't know, Reagan. Have we ever had shortages for baby formula? <laughs> um, no, we have not. Okay, so... Hmm. The, let's 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 look at the controls and the crap that we have to deal with. What created the shortages in baby formula? Um, Overregulation. Okay, you know that might be a cause. Um, see, markets with price ceilings are more prone to shortages and misallocation of resources. There is nothing magic about the number thirty-five. Either a um, cap once set can be expected to tighten 
Another red flag about this proposal is that Eli Lilly and Sanofi, two of the largest insulin manufacturers support it, they already provide insulin at $35 a month or less through their own company-run programs, making the company policies of the two largest um, incumbent firms into governmental mandates will hardly spark competition. A better alternative would be for government to reduce regulation in the production of bio, um, sim, bi, in biological things, um, with our relevant genetic drugs. Blah, blah. So basically, here's here's what it is: the two largest manufacturers, they may already produce it below thirty five dollars. But see, here's the thing: is if you wanted to get into that market, you would have to charge more. Okay and then get into it to where once you are up there, basically you can regulate the prices. See, they don't want competition. That's one aspect to it. They want to basically control the market. They want to create monopolies. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. Okay. Um, because that, that that's, I mean, it's insane. It's insane. You don't... Go government regulation, government regulation, bad, 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 bad. Just get the hell out, laissez-faire. Okay, the next one, the last article in Take 5, taxpayers often find di it difficult to understand the tax code. <laughs> it seems that occasionally, that on occasion, the IRS finds itself in the same boat. Unable to decide... Rather, certain state stimulus payments were taxable or not. The IRS asked taxpayers on those states to hold off filing and return a return until the agency had worked out the answer for itself. It has now done that, which is good for new good news for taxpayers in some states, not so good for taxpayers in others. If the tax system is so complicated that the agency that runs it find it difficult to understand how a um, significant provision should work, it's time to have a simpler tax code. Yeah, that's the issue here in California. Yeah, um, they gave a – this is insane. Dumbass is to Democrats as air is to breathing. Okay. Um, so the thing is, is that – these tax codes and these tax see that the, it's the basically it's software and they come out with these changes so late that it's it takes time to for the for the software people to write the algorithms and the software packages and the updates for the software that's what's causing these problems that's what's causing these problems you want to know how it's really simple any any provision that occurs after a certain deadline, so after basically September, does not apply for this for the for the upcoming tax year, right? So it has to be later. That's the issue. That's the issue. That's really simple to fix. It's really simple to fix. Um, but dumbass is to Democrats as air is to breathing. Thank you. Um, I'm going to end it there. I'm going to get to these other ones later.
in the next episode of the Tea Party Policy Chat. I hope you enjoyed listening to uh, my analysis and stories um, in applying these this principles and the, what's happening in these in these stories and applying a personal um, uh, um, aspect to it. I hope you enjoyed my stories. Um, everything I say on the Constitutional Patriot Podcast, the Tea Party Policy Chat Podcast, and the Patriot Foreign Policy Podcast, and the Solopreneur Business Patriot Podcast, basically all those stories about my life, they're about my life and about me and my and how I was raised. So there you go. It's all personal experience. And so thank you very much for listening to the Tea Party Policy Chat. God bless you all, and God bless America.